of a sudden you've, like Philip, you were, you know, translated here. Thank you. So everybody, John Lieb. On to that, if you are interested, at least in uh, hearing a little bit more about what School of Kingdom Ministry is about, the, F, you know, the FYI card that's on the back of the chair seat in front of you, just put your name on it, your phone number, email, whatever. So we, we're, we've, got peop, we've got folks besides our church, two other churches are going to be joining us and doing this on Sunday nights. So it's, a, it's an awesome class. Uh, let us know if you're interested. We'll get in touch with you and uh, answer whatever questions you might have about that. One other uh, housekeeping thing. Sheila's going to be, Sheila's asking if there's anybody else who might be interested in a little spiritual adventure with her. Uh, on Monday morning, she's praying till noon and fasting. And she wants to know, is there anybody else, and she's fasting about a particular focus. Uh, you might be interested in, in joining her in fasting uh, about the whole issue of, there's, there's certain foundations in our church that have, that have crumbled. And we really think the Lord wants to rebuild them and restore them. But it's going to be the kind of thing that it just, just isn't going to happen by human organization. There's things that we're trying to do that we're seeing some fruit and blessing on, but we know that there's a deeper spiritual work that has to happen. So if you might be interested in doing that, fill out this card and, and put it in the uh, information boxes on the wall on the way out. Let us know if you're interested in doing that. And put your name and your phone number so Sheila can contact you. Sheila, stand up so people see. Sheila, stand up. Oh, you're standing up. I'm just kidding. She's, she's short. <laughs> Ooh. So, so Sheila, Sheila's going to be praying and fasting on Mondays. And, and you know, if you want to pray on other days, too, because maybe Monday doesn't fit schedule-wise for you to fast because of your circumstances. But uh, please fill this out, and we'll get to Sheila, because uh, we want to pray about that area in particular. Uh, okay, we're back into the whole issue of spiritual technology, what we've been talking about. And uh, spiritual technology, it's, it's kind of a catchphrase that Jay came up with. He's a marketer. And uh, Jay, they don't like it, so I'm telling people that you came up with it. I can tell everybody's like... After the shot I took at Sheila's height, everybody's a little upset, so I'm going to, like, just de deflect it all on you. No, just kidding. Spiritual disciplines are, we've, we've coined the phrase, just they're spiritual technology that help form us. Now, I want to give you a couple of, if, if you have an outline, oh, Jay, do me a favor. Here's some outlines. We never got them out. Here's an outline you can track along with us. Spiritual disciplines position us for spiritual formation. And uh, uh, spiritual disciplines, or Dallas Willard says, are any practice that's in my power that I can do that will enable me to do what I can't do by direct effort. So a spiritual discipline is something that you can do that's in your power to do in practice that transforms you to do something you can't do on your own. You know, there are, there are areas of character formation that you will never touch in your life without practicing spiritual disciplines. And Jesus practiced spiritual disciplines. We've already talked about waiting, silence and solitude, the examen, the Sabbath, 
celebration. And this is going to be the sixth spiritual discipline we talk about today. And, and spiritual formation, which is what spiritual disciplines contribute to, spiritual formation is this process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. So spiritual formation is being conformed inside you, transformed into the image of Jesus for the sake of others. And spiritual disciplines have been practices that the church has used for 2,000 years and, and maybe longer because Jewish people practiced these before there was ever a Christian faith. And I want to introduce to you today, I'm going I'm to use a scary word in church, the word sacrifice. Spiritual disciplines include a whole range of practices. One of them is sacrifice. And I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. We're going to read a story where Jesus invited a man who really was uh, spiritually hungry. He came to Jesus, and he, he wanted more. And Jesus gave him a challenge. <laughs> and we're going to see what we can learn from his story. So Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. I'll start reading. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, like I say every week, there's one of these paperback Bibles in the chair seat in front of you. You're welcome to, to take one home if you want. They're, they're free. And it's on page, uh, starting on page 702. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. A good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then could be saved? Because they thought that riches were a sign of God's favor and blessing. And so they're, all of a sudden, they're like, it's just stretching them. Oh my gosh, you know, we already thought that riches were a sign that those people were like you know, on God's side already. And he goes, no, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Jesus said to him, we've left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who were first will be last, and the last first. So, let's look at this story, just peel back a little bit, 
and see what it has to say about the idea of sacrifice. Because my experience is most people who, when they hear this story taught, they look at this and go, well, Jesus only said, sell everything you have and come follow me to one person. So that this story can't have anything to me because it was obviously a unique situation. And it, it's, it's clear that it was a unique situation in a particular time to a particular person. But these stories are written for all of us. And I want to show you in a second that the sacrifice is a normal part of the Christian life. Maybe it hasn't been a normal part of your Christian life, but it's meant to be a normal part of our lives. It's not meant to be only for certain people, especially certain rich people. Because then people go, well, that, it would be great if all the super rich just gave everything away. That wouldn't solve any problems, ultimately. But what Jesus is saying here has something to apply to each of us. So this rich young man, he's not a ruler. And in, in Mark 10, he's just a rich young man here. But when Luke tells the story in Matthew, they say he's one of the synagogue rulers. He's, he's one of the religious leaders. And he's an, it's unusual for a young man to become a religious leader because they valued age and experience. So this, is a, this, this, this young guy here, either he is really successful on his own or his family's successful. But what we know about him is he is successful, he's well off, and he's spiritually inclined. In fact, he's not just spiritually inclined in the Jewish sense, but he was willing to go to Jesus and seek Jesus out when Jesus was a controversial kind of guy. And so the people that this rich young man was mostly used to mingling with were people that were, by this point in the story of Mark, they really had serious uh, suspicions at the very least about Jesus. But this guy was willing to go and ask Jesus for, to, to teach him which would have been kind of scandalous. So you, you, there's things to like about this young man. And there's three things. There's a, this, this, his story tells us a, about a dilemma that he's experiencing and then the possibilities that Jesus offers him and then the choice he makes. And then there's like, I think there's a simple lesson as we will unpack those. So first, the dilemma he has is this. Jesus, when he asks him, this rich young man, and the rich young man says, uh, uh, Mar Mark says that the rich young man is, a, you know, is a seriously spiritual person. But when Jesus feels his question, the way he answers it exposes in this young man a deep, well-hidden need. And the need in this life is to deal with his trust in and love for money. That Jesus said, you know, you look like you have it all made. But there's one thing you lack. And it wasn't like, oh, you know, your shirt's missing one button. <laughs> right? Your shirt's an amazing shirt, but you need to get that one button sewed back on. He isn't saying that. He is saying to this young man, at the very core of your life, you lack something that's so important that it's, it eclipses everything else that, that, that you think is important in your life. And he has money as the source of his security. Because when Jesus asked him to give it up, you know, you read the story, he, was, he wouldn't give it up. And Jesus probed 
this young man and asked him some questions and discovered this flaw in his heart. And we all, we all have some something, and, and, it, and this thing morphs at different stages of our life, but we all have something that's, a, that's our treasure. We all have a treasure that we value above everything else. And at any given moment in our life, whatever our, our deepest longing is, what, whatever satisfies the deep longings of our life is our treasure. It's what we depend on. It's what we rely on. And this young man, maybe he was raised in a family that, that you know, valued and prized possessions and money. And they saw that as, as the you know, best way to have security in your life. But anybody knows the Jewish people were wise people. They knew you can't put your trust in riches. You can't. And Jesus saw in this young man that was, that was his greatest need because he put his trust in something that was unreliable. He was going to suffer at some point a terrible disaster because of that. Now, he, his dilemma is what's going to be my treasure? And Jesus is saying, give your treasure away and follow me and make me your treasure. And in, in essence, this is, Jesus was inviting him to follow him, okay? There isn't, this is possible that he is sizing this young man up and saying, you could be one of like the apostolic leaders. I see in you potential. Because he, he, he's asking him to take a pretty big step. And we already know, like Levi left his job and his career. Peter and Andrew and James and John, who were fishermen, they gave up their fishing, now, we don't know that they gave up all their possessions. So this is a pretty big step that Jesus is asking for. But he's saying to this man, who's going to be your treasure? Who's going to be the most important thing to you in your life? That's a dilemma, right? Second, the, the, this is the thing, though. Jesus gave him two possibilities. Two possibilities. He said, listen, uh, when the man said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, you know, keep the commandments. And he said, I've done all these things. And then Jesus says, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Money had given him a lot. Money and possessions and, and, and the status and the comfort and the opportunities that a lot of money can give you affords you things that other people without those resources can't ever expect in the normal course of life. But this young man was coming and saying to Jesus, if you understand what he's saying, he's, he's saying, all my money hasn't given me everything. You know, like the U2 song, I'm, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, that refrain in the song. He's coming to Jesus and saying, wow, I, you know, I've had it. I, I'm keeping the law, and I'm blessed, you know, beyond expectation with resources. But I, I, still, I still don't have eternal life. I, don't, I still don't have what treasure in heaven 
offers me, what I know the law says can be mine, the promises of the one true God, of relationship with him, I don't have that. What do I do? And Jesus <laughs> offers him three benefits. And I, I left a blank in there just so you'd fill it in. He offered him three things. The first one he offered him was true security. He said, if you let go of everything that you have, you will find what it is to really be secure. You'll have treasure in heaven. Now, we don't, we don't worry quite to the degree that people in other parts of the world worry about our banking system. We have a fairly stable, fairly secure, pretty well-run banking system. But compared our banking system to theirs, their banking system was crazy uh, fragile. And you could take all your hard currency and your valuables, you could try to keep them in your house, then you got to guard your house all the time, right? That's the whole idea of having a safe place to put your possessions. Well, so they had banks and they had certain kinds of places to put those things, but they were still vulnerable. Our banks give us the ability to fall asleep at night and not worry about it, but we still worry at times about problems because in, in the history of our country in the last century, we had what my parents grew up with in the Great Depression. We had what was called a run on a bank where everybody went to the bank to get their money out. Well, all their money wasn't in the bank. Part of their money, like, you know, uh, what's the Christmas movie we always watch? It's a Wonderful Life. You know, you saw that. That's what people live with because they, some of their money was loaned out here and there and here and there earning interest, and your deposits were earning interest. And when there was a run on the bank, all of a sudden everyone became afraid. I won't be able to take care of myself. That insecurity, we don't feel it as much. We're insulated from some of that, but it's still there. Because when you look on any of the news aggregates that some of you like, like Real Clear Politics, and you see those headlines that say, recession coming, what do you do? If you're like most people, you, you click that little icon that hits where your investments are, and you, you start thinking about, oh, should I keep these, this money in this thing? Should I, what should I do? You, know, you start getting nervous about it, right? That's not security. And, and people know, because of the recession, the 2007, 2008, 9 recession, billions of dollars disappeared. Like they were stolen. They just, like they got burned up. People whose, uh, their retirement that they depended on, they were ready to retire. They couldn't retire. The money's gone. And sometimes it wasn't just the equity that they'd invested in wasn't just worth less. It worth less than it was before. It was worth less. And worthless and worthless are, neither of them are uh, the cure for insomnia. They're the cause for insomnia, right? And so he's saying to this man, if you put your treasure in heaven, if you make me your treasure and make me the owner of everything, you'll have a security you can't get. That money can't give you the security that you'll get by trusting me. Second, he says to the disciples, 
He made a promise to them, and, he, and this, is the, this is the promise of bankers. When you put your money and you invest your money in something, you're going to get a return. It's going to be secure, and you're going to get more back than you put in over time. Jesus is saying this, because this is a principle all the way through Scripture. Sacrifice releases provision. When you sacrifice, meaningfully sacrifice, the provision you need begins to be released to you. And it's not this prosperity thing. It's this story of God who says, you don't live in a world of scarcity. How many of you, how many of you listen to that Bible, uh, Bible Project podcast? Anybody? Only two of us right now. You guys all need to listen to this. When you go home, go to iTunes or whatever, you know, you, you, whatever inferior you know, place you use besides Apple products. Sorry, I just had to get that in there. It's just a, my son works for Apple. I just want to push it a little. What, and, and Roy's son works for Apple. There's two Apple people here. We should all be loyal right now <laughs> and go to Apple. But the, the podcast called The Bible Project, I don't even, I, I can't, oversell it. It's one of the best podcasts I've ever listened to, and it's creative, and it's wise, and prophetic, uh, and it just takes you through all kinds of stuff, particularly in the Old Testament, you never understood. These guys take really complex things and make them simple, but one, they've recently done a series on generosity, and one of the things that they, they point out about the, all the whole Bible is the world that God made is, is not a world of scarcity. It's a world of abundance because God's a God of generosity. But it's not, it doesn't work the way Americans take the principle and then Americanize it and, you know, in parentheses, pervert it. So it, it twists the teaching of Scripture. God says, whatever I've given you, if you're responsible with it, I'm going to increase it. But I'm blessing you so you can be a blessing to others. I'm not just blessing you. Like, you know, the I'm blessed meme on Facebook. I'm blessed. Yeah. No, you're only blessed if, if you're taking the blessing God's given you and you're blessing others with it. That's what, that's what the doctrine of election is about. It's not singling out some people and saying, you get it and you don't. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says you get it so the blessing that's on you can go to everybody. So, Because I want to multiply it. But here's the thing. The blessing God gives us only gets multiplied when we give it away. So Jesus is saying to this young man who's, who's trained under the law, who's supposed to care about his neighbors, but he isn't really. But he, God wants him to be blessed beyond what he's already blessed. And he's saying to that one young man, you've missed what blessing's all about. You don't even know what provision is. You think you have a lot? You, you have in heaven, <laughs> all the riches of God are yours. You think your dad is the one you can depend on because he's well off. You're, you're, <laughs> he's not, he's an impoverished, you know, homeless guy compared to your father in heaven. But you've got to, Depend on your Father in heaven and not your Father on earth. 
And you only see that God is generous when you're generous. That's the trick. That's the part we don't like. You know, I was really encouraged the other day. We'll wait and see. There's a real famous evangelist named Benny Hinn. He came out the other day and he repudiated the prosperity gospel. I had to read the article again, I thought. He said, I've been wrong about this. He said, this is wrong. This is, this is a false teaching, and I've taught it, and I was wrong, and I'm not going to teach it anymore. That's like, wow. That's a humble thing to say. Now, we'll see. We'll see. But we find security when we begin to practice sacrifice. When God calls us to sacrifice, we'll get to that in a second. We find abundant provision when we sacrifice. And not only us, we begin to, sh- sh- when, when we give sacrificially to other people, and there's a number of you in our church, I know you do this, it shows to other people that God provides for them. And sometimes they're not in the best place because of their own bad choices. And then when they're blessed in the middle of that, they understand what God's really like, His mercy. And God's goodness is what leads us to repentance. They begin to feel valued and known and loved. And there are all kinds of good things happen. But the third thing is, he says, and this is, this is believe it or not, this is a blessing, all right? Jesus offers him three benefits if he chooses to follow Jesus and embrace sacrifice. True security, abundant provision, and persecution. Was a, it wasn't like really a robust woohoo. It was more like a woohoo. Woohoo. Persecution? That's a blessing? Let me tell you. It really is. Because you know, one of the things the Bible warns us of that we're most numb to in American Christianity is deception. The worst kind of deception that you can fall under is self-deception. And, and riches, the Bible warns us about, can deceive us. Riches aren't bad. It's us. Things, you know, this phone is not bad. A big house is not bad. A big bank account is not bad. That's, that's a twisted way of thinking. Our fallenness takes all the good things that God surrounds us with, every good thing, and we misuse it. And what makes it worse is we get deceived into thinking that misuse is proper use. And we don't even realize we're misusing it and we're suffering because of it. And what persecution does, it's like pain. Pain wakes us up and gets our attention. It arouses us. And so persecution, we don't go out, I don't, I don't know about you, I'm not looking for persecution. But when you do the thing, it's going to grate the world around you and worldly people around you and worldly Christians around you. It's going to irritate them and they're going to push back at you. They're going to say things about you. They're going to say things to you. They're gonna, you're going to experience Persecution, because it runs on a spectrum from mild to very intense, people are not going to like it. People who 
love money and depend on money are not going to like it when you make choices with the money God's given you to sacrifice at times. They're going to go, who do you think you are? There's going to be all kinds of reactions. And, it, and, it, and it's, trust me, sometimes it's calculated to try to throw you off the path you're on. But sometimes it's just a, a knee-jerk reaction. It's just a reflex. And persecution is a blessing. Jesus said, you're blessed if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. And like I said, I don't want to look for it, but it, when it comes, now here's the thing. Jesus lived out what he was inviting this young man into. He was living a life where he came into the world, he left all of his glory and power and prestige, and he, and he was born into an impoverished family in an occupied country in the midst of all kinds of strife. Emptied himself, the Bible says, of all of his prerogatives as God and, and walked around just like us with all the weaknesses. Jesus had to poop. I'm not trying to shock you. I'm just telling you. He lived the way we do. He got tired. He got hungry. He was tempted. Hebrews says he was tempted like all of us. Now, you're, imagine you're God, and you come and take on flesh and blood like, like Jesus did. And all of the weakness and the things that he experienced for us, he was sacrificing for us. And here's the point. He laid aside all his treasure to make you his treasure. And then he went to that. And that is cherry on the Sunday, And said, I want to show you how much you're valued. I'm going to go to the cross and lay my life down. And so he was inviting this young man that is the way to life. In a fallen world, the only way to find life is through that. And that is about sacrifice. And that's why sacrifice is normal. You understand? It's normal. It's not just weird and twisted. Now, people, like I said, people can take anything that's, that's true and good and twist it. But Jesus sets the example. He's inviting this man into it. And the early church, I, I put some examples there, but Peter and all the other disciples here in this story, they said, Lord, we've left everything for you. All the things that they gave, that they mentioned, they said, we've left everything. And then Jesus lift, uh, listed all the things, a brief summary of what they left. All those things in their culture were things that gave you security. You understand that? Your field gave you security. Your home gave you security. Brothers gave you security. Sisters gave you security. All kinds of things gave you security. They left those things to follow Jesus. And then you read in the book of Acts, when all these believers were coming in, they started selling land and possessions to help people who were in need. And here's what sacrifice is. Oh, gosh, I didn't put the definition here. Well, no, I didn't. I'm sorry. Uh, Sacrifice is where you choose to not take the resources that you have 
that could meet your own needs, you give them away to meet somebody else else's needs in the hope that God's going to meet your needs. That's not tithing. It's giving what you need away. You know, unless you're really living a really tight life financially, and some of you are, but, I mean, there aren't any of us in this room that couldn't choose to live on the hilltop in a home that cost 20% of what we pay now. And so we wouldn't be living, given our income, on the edge like we are. Not making any comment about it, but just saying all of us have, have room in our belt to, to, to give some more than we're giving. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about taking your mortgage payment when you hear somebody else is behind their mortgage and you pay their mortgage payment and you don't know how you're going to pay yours. Or you go into your savings to pay yours. And you weren't planning to do that. Because when you go into your savings to pay your mortgage, then you're not going on that cruise. Or you're not getting your roof fixed. That's what sacrifice is. And I know some of you do that in our fellowship. You've learned to do that. And your life shows it. But this is an area, like, uh, all these new followers of Jesus did it. Barnabas was one of the leaders in the church. And here's the truth. Most pastors I know became pastors and could have had another career, could have made more money working in some other kind of job, a lot more money. My parents owned a chain of jewelry stores. I could have made a lot more money working for my family business, a lot more. I would have owned my family business. I'm the only child. makes it easy, right? It's going to be mine. And now I felt called to do it. It was my choice. Nobody forced me to do this. But Barnabas, he was a Levite. And in Acts 5, it says Barnabas took some land that he owned, and he sold it, and he put the money at the apostles' feet. That was like leaving everything behind. Because when you're a priest, you don't have much. You have land. He sold the land, and he had nothing. But he had treasure in heaven. He had treasure in heaven. And then uh, the Macedonian, there's some followers of Jesus in, in 2 Corinthians that Paul talks about. And he said these Macedonian believers, they were, they were Greeks, had heard about the Jewish people around Judea had gone through a famine. And they were suffering terrible hardship. And so all these other churches that had been started by Jewish people moving and sharing the gospel took up offering after offering after offering. And the apostles organized this whole campaign, and they took it back for the relief of those believers in Judea. And it says in Macedonia that the Macedonian, Paul said to the Corinthian believers, in Macedonia, they gave beyond their ability. They gave to the point to where their poverty overflowed because they didn't have enough. And it says they gave themselves to the Lord and then to this thing. But God met them. He goes on to encourage them. You know, how God, when we sacrifice, God provides for us. And when you believe in him, you, you realize this, this is not a zero-sum game world. That we, we don't live in a world of scarcity. It may seem like it. But the change in the world of scarcity comes when we trust God and we give. 
and, and even sometimes give sacrificially. So the problem was he chose to hold on to his money. And if you read some of the other versions of this in the gospel, it says he went away sad. And it says that Jesus looked at this young man and he loved him. Jesus loved him. He wasn't mad at him, but Jesus was sad for this young man too because if you think that holding on to a lot of money is the safest route, it's the hardest route. The way of Jesus is always easier than every other way. And this young man chose the hardest way. He chose a life where he wasn't going to have security. He wasn't going to really have provision. He wasn't going to have the warning of persecution. He was just on his own. And what he was saying to Jesus is, I don't want you to be my treasure. I want my money bag to be my treasure. And that's the hardest, the hardest path to take. And Jesus felt heartbroken for that young man because he was inviting him to enter into this kingdom of plenty and overflow. But the route he was asking him was radical. Now, I think the Lord is, when we talk about these spiritual disciplines, there is provision that God wants to release for you and your life. And, you know, there's three things that we have, three resources that we have amongst many when we talk about sacrifice that, that God's talking about. He's talking about your time. He's talking about your energy. But in particular, he's talking about your money. Because in our culture, time, energy, and money are, are all really prized. But money really is. Money is where the rubber meets the road. And when I talk about your treasure, because everybody has a treasure, how much is the money that you have your treasure? Because the Lord's inviting us. We're the rich young people. We're the rich young man in this story. He's inviting each of us in some way to say, what is your treasure? What is it that's really valuable to you that you don't want to sacrifice and give up? That you won't exchange so that Jesus can be your treasure. Now, we can't decide what our treasure is by comparison. We can only decide what our treasure is and what the Lord might be calling us to sacrifice when we hear from Him. Okay? I can't tell you what you should sacrifice. Your neighbor can't tell you what you should sacrifice. Some of you have siblings who love to tell you what you should do. You have parents who love to tell you what you should do. We need to hear this from Jesus. But I want you to understand, when we hear this sacrifice thing, if you're listening to me say this, and in your mind, you're having this inner conversation that dismisses the force of what you're hearing. There's some treasure in your heart that's getting exposed. And I don't know what it is. It might be money. Because I, I will tell you, I think money is an issue because of where we live. We live in a really affluent part of our city. And we're not exempt from the, the power of affluence. And it's hard what Jesus is saying. More of his, there are more warnings in the New Testament about money than there are about bad sex. You understand that? You might not think that. You might think the way the church talks, sex is the only thing we should ever like try to get straightened out about. But Jesus spent way more time on money. 
way more time on money than he did on sex. But he did talk about sex. We could talk about it some other time. But money is really a big issue. And it's an issue that we're supposed to have real freedom in. And some of us, like, I'm at a point in my life now where I feel like, wow, I'm finally getting to a place of freedom in my life with money. Not because I don't have any debt. I have little debt. But it's more about my attitude towards money has grown and changed over time. It was not easy for me. My parents were, you know, reasonably affluent. It wasn't easy for me to come to the idea that there were times I needed to sacrifice. There are times I needed to deny myself things I wanted and thought I had earned to show love to somebody else that God wanted to bless. And so this whole treasure thing, it really comes down to Jesus. It's not a formula, like if you have this much money, there's this formula to help you figure out what you should do with that much money. If you have this much money, that formula just gets modified a little and works over here. It comes down to you. Is Jesus the treasure of your life? And and is everything you have at his feet? Because that's the place where you see at the cross... Jesus didn't hold on to anything. He even let go of his life. And, and for all of us, our life is ultimately the last thing we have to give to him. But we're, most of us are not going to ever face that live for Jesus or deny Jesus. And if you live for Jesus, you're going to get persecuted and killed. Most of us are never going to face that. But we're going to face these tests. If you go back in the book of Genesis, the story of Abraham If you follow it carefully, he faced 10 tests. And some of his tests were around money. And, you know, Abraham wasn't a perfect man, so he didn't pass all the tests. But God tests us to bless us. God tests us to, to, and in the test, he's inviting us into a richer life. If we don't value Jesus above everything we have, we, we will be like the rich young ruler, and we'll take what we think is the pathway of least resistance and the easiest path. And in the end, it's not at all. It's not easy at the beginning. It's not any easier at the end. It's just hard all the way. There's a freedom the Lord wants to bring you into. And uh, you guys, we'll just close with just this thought. There's emotion around your treasure. If, if someone puts their finger on a treasure in your life, the treasure of your life at, say, this particular moment, you're going to have a reaction to that. And we've talked a lot about, about spiritual disciplines and how they help us become aware of God, ourselves, and others. And these, the spiritual discipline of sacrifice, it exposes things in our lives that are, are where some of the biggest troubles of our lives are. And I'm not trying to test you today to prove anything to me, but I'm, I'm trying to point you to the story of this young man, and it's a story that all of us experience, that the Lord comes to us at, at, at some point in our lives. His just happened to be, from the get-go, 
But at some point in your life, the Lord's going to say to you, I want you to let go of something really important to you to find something that's far better. But it's really hard to let go of that thing because it gives you security or belonging or purpose or significance or love uh, or uh, understanding. You know, those core longings get met. Money meets a lot of core longings. And I think this is timely for different people here. I think this idea of sacrifice is something that's like it's just the right time for you to hear. And I don't know any way other than just leaving it like this is just want to take a little space and they're going to play whatever they're going to play without singing, but just music. And as they're playing, I just ask you to courageously Close your eyes and say, Jesus, is there anything else that I treasure more than you right now? Is there anything that that I treasure more than you? And is there some way that you're inviting me to let go of it that involves sacrifice? And what does that look like? So, Lord, is there anything in my life that I can...